If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 4, it is page 823 on the Bible under your chair, Colossians chapter 4. We are in our new series called Beats, and we're looking at the beats or the rhythms that we need in our life to be used by God and to make disciples. Because we said last week, we don't want the same old, same old anymore. And we believe that every follower of Jesus has been called and sent by Jesus to alert others to the kingdom of God. And so we're looking at the, the types of, of rhythms that we need in our lives to be used by God. Um, and these are rhythms that I hope get into the fabric of our church, like who we are as a people, our, our habits, they shape us and they form us. And uh, the first beat, the first rhythm is a rhythm of preparation, we said last week. And, uh, and so today starts for us 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, now I do notice... There's not uh, as many people here this week as there was last week. Some people got nervous about the prayer and fasting. But I have decided to fast uh, the Broncos. No more Broncos for me this season. I'm done. Uh, some of you have decided to fast the Cowboys or the uh, Bears, but we won't talk about that. Uh, but fasting, it helps us turn our attention to the Lord. It helps us get in tune with what God wants to do in our lives. And it reminds me of the, the old radios. You might still have one where you have to turn the dial. And it's a little, first you really can't hear anything. It's just scratchy. Then all of a sudden it comes in clear just for a moment if you're standing right and holding everything just right. Uh, but fasting is almost like a, we're spiritually dial in, dialing in uh, to what God is saying to us and what he wants to do in our lives. And uh, in the early church, prayer and fasting was the launching pad for the greatest mission the world has ever seen. And it turned the world upside down, and it started with prayer and fasting. And so for the next three Thursdays, I want to invite everybody to come together to pray from 7 to 8 o'clock. You can pray at your house. You're welcome to come. We'll have uh, our house open for prayer that evening if you can make it. So from 7 to 8, the next three Thursdays, uh, we're just going to stop and pray and hear from God and see what God has for us as a people. Now, if, if prayer is something new to you uh, or it's not something that you've uh, set aside time for uh, just as, as a habit, and you're like, Matthew, I, I don't even know where to start. Uh, we have these little booklets in the back. It's, it's our rhythm of life, and, uh, but there's some helps for praying in the back, like leading you through some things that you can pray, uh, praying through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so that's in the back. I also have... Um, these, uh, just the simple prayer guides, I'll have one each week, just for each, each day it has a prayer for yourself, a prayer for the church, and a prayer for the world, and also a short scripture reading, so these are on the back, um, and I also have uh, sent out the, uh, an email if you're on the, the email list, um, but I would encourage you to find a time, these next 21 days, more than normal, set aside to hear what God uh, wants to say to us. Um, so we, we have this, uh, this rhythm, this need for preparation, but I also think we need a rhythm of awakening and understanding the call that God has on each one of our lives. And the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, is Jesus' last words that he gives to his church, that he gives to us. And we call it the Great Commission. Because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. And to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything uh, that I have, I have taught you. And then he said, I will be with you as you go about that. And, and so last words are in, important, and, and the last words of Jesus was go. And it wasn't just go if, if you've got 
everything figured out. Like, it wasn't just go if you have been theologically trained. It wasn't go if you've been serving God for uh, enough time. For every believer that follows Jesus, the command, the commission for us is to go. It's almost like if, if you want to see yourself as being uh, knighted by Jesus, right? The uh, sword on each shoulder, all of you have been knighted by Jesus to go to the ends, to the ends of the earth. And uh, we should see ourselves as missionaries in our own neighborhoods. Like we should see that should be how we, we see ourselves. And that, that brings me to the dreaded E word, evangelism. Now some of you are like, oh, what's my exit strategy? I'm getting out of here. Um, not into that. And, and if you grew up in church, in a church that emphasized evangelism, maybe there's some pictures or ideas that come to mind when you think about evangelism. Like you, you learned a, uh, you know, a script of the gospel. You went and knocked on doors. Um, so you have these images that stir up in your heart. And, and I think for a lot of us, Maybe we don't understand the calling that God has. And in some churches, the, the call, like the, um, the weight of that that was put on us was, was too great. Um, and for some reason, maybe it's your temperament, or maybe it's a lack of knowledge or lack of relationship. We felt inadequate. Like during those programs come out, like, I, I can't do that, Matthew. Um, and then there was others that were so enthusiastic that sometimes they, they offended everybody they came across. Right? Like they were obnoxious and, and just drove people away from Jesus on the, on the opposite extreme. On the other hand, I think for a lot of Christians these days, our, our expectations are a little low of what God has called us to do. And that our, um, like the, the amount that we're supposed to do for Jesus of evangelism is just simply inviting our friends to Jesus. Like we get a, or inviting to church. Like we uh, get to know them a little bit. We invite them to church where they hear about Jesus. Now, you should invite your friends to church, <laughs> all right? Uh, that's a good thing. That's a good place to start. Uh, in fact, you, you might not uh, realize the difference that God can make in someone's life just by inviting them to church. I want to brag just for a moment on uh, Miss Elnora right over here. I won't, I won't uh, embarrass her, have her stand up. Uh, but she uh, met a guy named Sam and began to see him at the grocery store, and gave him, we have these, these small invite cards uh, that just says, you're invited. Sunday's 10 a.m., it's got some pictures on there, information on the back, we've got them at the, the table in the back if you want to carry one of those. Uh, it invited Sam to church. He didn't come right away. But over the course of time, she kept seeing him, and then he came. Uh, he came in November, I think, about like the last Sunday in November. He and his wife came, and now... They want to follow Jesus, and in February, when we have our baptism service, they're getting baptized. Amen. Amen. Uh, because Miss Elnora invited them to church with an invite card. Like, you, you don't know. In, in fact, most studies say uh, that, or in surveys that have been done, say that most people who don't go to church would come if just invited. But no one's ever invited them. So that, that is a great place to start, but... Uh, if, if the former approach like places too high of expectations on us, because I don't know if everyone is a gifted evangelist. In fact, we're going to look at that today. But the latter, like just inviting someone to church, like, like that's the end of the call. It, it just limits us um, to church marketers for the church, in a sense, if that's where it stops. So there's this balance, and, and I believe that we have all been sent by Jesus to announce and demonstrate the kingdom of God through Christ. Now, my problem, and it might be your problem as well, 
is that I am no Billy Graham. Like, uh, I don't know what age people know Billy Graham anymore. Uh, maybe it's here. <laughs> All right. But Billy Graham was an evangelist. Like, when Billy Graham told people about Jesus, they, they came to Jesus. Like, he had that, that gift. And, and so when you have people that are like Billy Graham and they tell you stories about, you know, I was, in, I was in an airplane or I was on the bus and I got out the napkin. And I told them about Jesus and they came to Jesus. And, uh, and you should do the same thing. Like, maybe for you, like, that is terrifying. Like, I, to do, you want me to be an evangelist. And instead of, like, inspiring us, it actually makes us, like, push away from this whole idea Evangelist. Is that just me? You know what I'm talking about? Um, so Colossians chapter 4. Where does that leave us? Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may, I may proclaim it clearly as I should, you be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, this, this book of Colossians, it's a, it was a letter written to a church, the people of uh, Colossae. And of all the letters of the New Testament, to all the places where they were written, Colossae, least significant. Like not a very significant city, bordered the Mediterranean and, and modern-day uh, Turkey, and uh, we believe Paul probably started this church, and now he's writing a letter to them. He's giving them instructions, and he's getting to the final part. Like, this is what I want you to do practically, how I want you to live this out. And, um, and in the, the Roman Empire, just to give you a, a bit of a background on the, like the culture of the day, it was not very tolerant to Christianity. Christians were seen as atheists, in fact, uh, because they only worshiped one god. Instead of all the gods, the Roman pantheon, all the gods and goddesses. So Christians were considered atheists. They didn't uh, embrace the emperor as a god. So all these things, it didn't endear them uh, to the people. And so th this was not a, a friendly a place to share their faith. It was a hostile culture. In that environment, Paul wants the evangelist to be bold. Like if I had uh, a first point today, that would be it. Evangelists should be bold. And uh, and as we read through this, it seems like Paul uh, is, a, is making the, the assumption that there are some who are called to be evangelists. Like whoever they talk to about Jesus, wherever they are, people are coming to Jesus. That's just their, their, their gifting. And he places himself in that category. And sometimes evangelists can be like local, like Timothy. When you read the, the, the letter to Timothy, he was a local evangelist. But Paul went from place to place. Um, there were leaders in the church but not just leaders in the church. Like you didn't have to have a, a title to be an evangelist. And uh, so here is the, the challenge for our church. Like who among us is the evangelist? Like I don't think everybody is an evangelist, but somebody. God is gifted, giving gifts to the church of, of evangelists. And um, so somebody, like how are we identifying the evangelist in, in our midst? Um, but if you're not a, an evangelist, what then? What, what are we to do? Well, I think Paul tells us that the rest of us, so evangelists should be bold, and secondly, the rest of us should be questionable. Should be questionable. That's right, I said it. Actually, Paul said it. Uh, so turn, turn to the person next to you and ask them, are you questionable? Are you... Some of them, you can see it in their eyes, they're very questionable. Right? Question. 
That's sketchy. I'm not talking about sketchy, all right? Not that kind of questionable. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, at, at the end of verse 5, it says, Be wise in, in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So how to answer means that you're providing answers to questions. So you are evoking questions by the way you live, that they are uh, questionable. And, um, and so while uh, Paul wants the evangelist to, to be bold, make the proclamation, he wants all of us to live a, a questionable life, uh, an, an intriguing, a surprising type of lives. Because um, not everyone is called to be an evangelist. Not everyone. But we are all called to be evangelistic. All right. We're not all called to be evangelists, but we're called to be evangelistic. So there's two sides here in this. One is the evangelist. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, I think we'll have it on the screen. You don't have to, to turn there. And it's talking about these gifts that have been given to the church. It says, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles. So we should have apostles in the church. Some to be prophets. We should have prophets in the church. Some to be evangelists. Some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so uh, we believe from this passage, that, and I believe each one of you have been giving a, a gifting in one of these realms. Like, oh, Matthew, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm not an apostle. And maybe someday in the future we'll go in, into more depth, but... Uh, but not everybody is an evangelist. Some were evangelists. Everybody else, all Christians, though, are to be involved in the, in the mission of God and to be ready to give an answer. Like we, we conduct ourselves that, uh, to prov provoke questions and maybe our neighbors or our coworkers. And, and so, and I meant, I meant to bring up a whiteboard today. It was going to be fancy. And then I just forgot. Uh, so two, two categories of people. You just have to imagine it with me. Evangelist, all the rest of us. <laughs> That's easy. Probably didn't need a whiteboard for that. Uh, evangelist, the, the rest of us. So the evangelist, if you go across the line, should be, is the one making the bold proclamation. The one that, like they're telling Jesus to everybody. Uh, the, for the rest that aren't evangelists, we should be having uh, like wise socializing with, with our neighbors and, and living lives that... Uh, evoke questions and, and being prayerful and watchful and making the most of every, every opportunity and having gracious answers, like as people do ask us about our lives. And, and so if, if you have evangelists and all of the rest of us are to be evangelistic, I think God has something for all of us to do in his kingdom. Like whether, um, I mean, we all have different backgrounds and different things that we bring to the table, so to speak. So your, your work gives you a certain perspective, your, uh, your family, even your, your culture, your ethnicity. We, we all bring something to the table when it comes to alerting others to the kingdom of God. So Colossians 4, right at the beginning again, verse 2, says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So where do, where do we get started? So for all of us, evangelists, not evangelists, we are to devote ourselves to, devote ourselves to prayer to watchfulness, to thankfulness. And this isn't just a hap haphazard praying. Like, I'm just on my way to work, and so I'll spend some time as I'm praying, which, that's good. But this is like a dedicated, 
devoting ourselves, it has the, the idea with it of like a gritty determination. We don't give up. And, and for Paul, this writing to the Colossians, this wasn't a suggestion. Like maybe if you have time, devote yourself. This is an imperative to devote ourselves to prayer, to be persistent and to be intentional. And, uh, and I mentioned earlier, like in the, in the coming weeks, like set aside some space, like push something else out, find some time to devote to prayer. And, and if it hasn't been a habit for you, just start with five minutes a day, maybe five minutes in the morning before you get to work, find, uh, you might have to get up before the kids to have a quiet space. Um, but take some time and, and be in, it's watchful prayer, it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, watchful and, and thankful. It means we're, we're vigilant, we're alert, we're, we're aware, we're, we're praying by name for our, our neighbors and our, our coworkers. We're, uh, we're aware of people and, and settings around us. And, and if our hidden life in prayer is, is strong, then it begins to make us aware of the opportunities that we have and that God brings to us throughout the week. So he goes on to say, Paul says, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may, I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So we're all to devote ourselves to prayer, where all of us are to pray for the evangelist, pray, pray for the ones who God has sent. And, and so Paul is in prison. He says, for which I am in chains for this gospel. And I think if a lot of us in that moment had been praying and asking for a prayer request, it would have been, and pray for me too, that I can get out of here. But Paul was so consumed by the gospel, like it's every waking moment was like letting people know about Jesus, that that wasn't his concern. He's like, just make there another way for me to share Jesus with somebody. Uh, so he, he doesn't pray for a not guilty verdict in his upcoming trial, even though he was not guilty. Um, he, he doesn't pray for a peaceful end to his life. He's not like, I've been around the world, I've told people about Jesus, and now I just want to go in peace. Like I'm, I've come to the end. He said, that's not what he, what he prayed, and I think that's instructive for us in our own prayers. Right? When we look at the content of our prayers and, and the focus on ourselves, oftentimes in our, in our prayers, not that we shouldn't pray for ourselves, but he says, Pray, pray for me. Pray for opportunities that God will open a door. Pray for clarity that I may proclaim it clearly. Um, and I also think we can pray this for ourselves. Like, God, open a door for me. Give me clarity in sharing this good news. And, and Paul asked for prayer. He needed the prayers of others. And, and I don't know if sometimes we think that asking for prayer from others maybe is a sign of weakness. Like, we can, we can do this on our own. But even Paul, this great man of God, needed the church to come around him, to pray for him. Um, they didn't come into prison and pray with him there, but he called for their prayers. And he says, be wise in the way you act. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. That's great imagery, isn't it? So that you may know how to answer everyone. So we're, we're to pray we're to pray um, watchfully, thankfully. We're to, to pray for the evangelist, but also we're to live questionable lives, lives that evoke curiosity. And, uh, and he, he says use wisdom. Like, so when we're talking with people who, who don't know Jesus, like, use some tact, all right? Don't be obnoxious. We, oh, boy. 
That's a whole nother sermon right there. Uh, don't be antagonizing or alienating as we, as we share Jesus with others, but we make the most of every opportunity. Um, we look for opportunities. And, and then I love the phrase where he says, make your conversation be always full of grace. Make your conversation full of, of grace. And I don't know everything that that means, but in, in some regard, like when we're having conversation with people, it should be graceful. Like a grace that understands that, that I have received grace. A grace that, that brings some humility. Because that is, I think, um, one thing that, well, we need as Christians. is humility as we're sharing this. Like I, I have this hope, this good news in Jesus. And it's not, a, it's not something that lifts us up in our conversation to other people, right? It's something that, that takes us down. God's been so gracious to me and... Um, you know, I've heard it said, and I've said it before, that a Christian is just a beggar telling others where he found bread, where she found bread. And this beggar is still sometimes hungry, but I just know where I can find bread. That's, that's what we're, we're doing when we alert others to the kingdom of God, telling others, listen, I, I have found bread. So how do I know if I'm living a life that's evoking curiosity? Has anyone asked you any questions recently? About your faith, like for my own self, looking in the mirror, like am I living a life that evokes curiosity? And if, if the people with whom you spend t- time with, whether it's at work or recreationally, if, if they don't know that you're a believer, then you're probably not living a life that evokes curiosity. Um, and, and throughout history, whenever, wherever we see Christianity spreading, it's because there's some type of different community that attracts people, and, and, and people have questions about, like, why do you do that? Why do you spend so much time helping others? Why do you spend so much time concerned about uh, inequities and injustice? Why, why do you spend so much time uh, not eating? Why do you spend time fasting? Like, what is, what is that about? Um, why do you spend time hanging out with people who come from a, a different culture than you? Why do you, spend, why do you l- open up your home and, and let the refugee in? Like, are we living our lives in such a way that people are going to even ask us questions. Are they going to ask us questions? And um, so we have the evangelist, and then we have the rest of us. And, and, uh, and in the first century, in the first few centuries, the Roman life was brutal. Uh, but the, the Christians in, in the church was so stunningly different that it set them apart. And it, it raised almost suspicions in the empire. There was uh, one emperor, Julian, who later, uh, the winners get to tell the story, was called Julian the Apostate. It's not a, uh, a pleasant or a, uh, a term to lift him up. Uh, but in the, in the mid-fourth century, so in the 300s, Julian was em- emperor, and he began to, to see these Christians as a threat. In fact, he thought the Christian religion was a, a disease. Like That's how he spoke of it, and he wanted to eradicate it, and he, he wrote this to his officials we have a record of it. It's, it's kind of lengthy, but I think it's helpful to see how Christians were seen uh, by this, this emperor. It said, we must pay special attention to this point. And by this means, affect a cure. See? Because of the sickness of Christianity. For when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked, the priests, the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans. Uh, Christians were called Galileans because Jesus was from Galilee another derogatory term, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they gained 
have gained ascendancy in the worst of the deeds through the credit they win for such practices. In other words, they gain the public's trust because of their care for the poor and the care for their outcasts. For just as those who entice children with a cake and by throwing it to them with two or three times uh, induce them to follow and then when they are far away from their friends cast them on board a ship and sell them as slaves. Like that, that was quite the picture. Like you give a child just a little something, you pull them out and all of a sudden they're, they're a slave. Or, I don't know why when I read that it reminds me of Pinocchio. Like the story of Pinocchio. Or, I don't know. You might not remember the story. Uh, but by the same method, I say the Galileans also begin with their so-called love feast, their hospitality or service of tables, for they have many ways of carrying it out and hence call it by many names. And the result is that they have led many into atheism, Christianity, not believing in the pagan gods is what, what he was saying. And, and so uh, for Julian and, and his officials, like they had, we've got to do something. These Christians, they're, they're being too good. They're gaining followers, and they saw it as like something spurious. Like they're just doing it uh, to win people and to enslave them to this sickness. And so he decided to launch a counteroffensive against this. And so he had his officials like, hey, we're going we're gonna to start uh, serving the poor. We're going to build some uh, hostels so the weary traveler can find some place to stay. And this is what, what he wrote. He said, why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers their care for the graves of the dead and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism. I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of those virtues, for it is disgraceful that when the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. So not only do the Christians take care of their own, they also take, took care of those who were not Christians. And, and so the emperor's like, we've got to do something about this. His program did not work. Because you can't change hearts much without, like he didn't know, like the Christians, their, their place, their reason for serving was because God had saved them and they were living in the grace of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and so that it sent them out and gave them the power to love those who weren't going to love them back. Like that was what separated uh, the Christian message and the Christians from the Romans' attempts to do this, the same. And, and so the Christians just didn't proclaim the mercy of God, they demonstrated it. They didn't only feed the poor, they welcomed everybody regardless of ethnicity. And we'll, we're going to look at some of that history next month when we get into the Black History Month and look at the history of the church and, and some of the paintings of, of the first centuries, how it, it wasn't just folks who looked like me in those paintings, uh, but it, it was a multi-ethnic church. Uh, they they liberated, liberated uh, social relations between the sexes and the, the noblemen and embraced the slave, and, and they were a most surprising alternate society is what they did. So what kind of life evokes curiosity? Does just a, a life of, uh, you know, a law-abiding, good neighborly life, like mowing the lawn, washing the car, I don't do that one, uh, you know, paying your taxes, just a good, good old American life, is that going to evoke curiosity? I mean, you should probably be a good law-abiding citizen. But that in itself, like, I think there's got to be something more, something where people begin to see our lives as questionable and 
I have some ideas. But you've got to come back next week. And we talk more about that. Um, so for you, as we move into this uh, time of preparation, the time of awakening, rhythm of awakening in our own lives, like, is my life, does it evoke questions, the way I, the way I serve, the way, the way I love?